Well, you know, it's, it's great to be together, isn't it? And to be able to, to celebrate um, with Dan and Hannah the, the dedication of Lily and Eliza. And it's great to have you guys here as family with us as, as part of that. And there's something really special, I think, is not only do Dan and Hannah make this commitment to say that they want to, to raise their children in God's ways, um, but that we are invited into that with them and that we get to stand with them and that we get to make that commitment as as well to say that we have a part to play and we have a role in that. You know, and it's, it's, it's times like this that I think we, you know, my mind often turns to thinking about how um, we are raising our children and preparing them for the future. And if you turn on the news at any point over recent kind of times and the way in which kind of the, the media talks about the future and what the world might look like in 10, 20, 30 years time. The kind of world that we might be preparing them for can seem a little bit scary at times, can't it? You know, there is so much uncertainty and so much fear in the media at the moment. You know, whether it's around um, Brexit and a kind of a political and and an economic fear, Um, whether it's around um, terrorism and the increase in kind of targeted attacks with things like the the, the knife attacks in Manchester recently, whether it's around uh, climate change and and what might happen environmentally, whether it's around um, the gender issues and where we're going as a society, whether it's around the, the decline of the church or the future persecution of the church when it takes a stand against the direction that, that culture is, is going in. You know, when we think about the future, there are big, legitimate things for us to feel fear of. You know, but we don't just battle with fear about big things, do we? In fact, often the big things seem so big that we struggle to get our heads around them and it's just kind of an out there fear. Most of us battle with fear every day about much smaller things. Fear of rejection. Fear of failure. Fear of sickness. Fear of losing your job. Fear of losing a loved one. It seems almost like round every corner there's another opportunity to be afraid. And this fear can control our lives. You know, it can, can control our lives in, in ways because we just become worn down by it. We can control our lives because we're scared of looking silly and foolish and so we just won't have a go at things. There are things that we just avoid and we won't do. I've shared with you lots of times before, dancing is one of those things for me. It's fear. You know, fear can control our our lives because it leads to us pulling away from people in relationships because we'd, we'd rather be the ones who backed off first than put ourselves out there and risk them backing off before us. can control our lives because we become afraid of even leaving the house. 
Now, I remember being controlled by fear when I was a child growing up. And um, and part of that fear was that kind of not wanting to look silly, not wanting to look foolish. And so you, you kind of hold back from having a go at things. And when you do have a go at things, you're kind of awkward and clumsy because you're just worried about looking silly while you're doing it. But but part of that fear was about a fear of, of, of rejection, which led to me choosing ways that I lived my life that because I, I wanted to be accepted, I wanted to be cool. And so I was determined to break every mold of growing up in a Christian home and so I would swear more and drink more and break rules more than any one of my friends did in order to kind of prove myself and it was all controlled by fear you know fear is something that we all face and we need to think about how we prepare ourselves for the future that we know is coming as uncertain as it is and for the future of this moment by moment and day by day that we, we face. And we need to think about how we prepare, prepare and train our children to be able to face fear too. How we can face how we can respond to, to fear. And, and you know, this is this is nothing new. Fear is something that humanity has been battling with um, since the day that we decided we were going to go our own way and rebel against God. You can read about it for yourself. You look back at, at chapter 3 of Genesis. And, and the first thing that happened after Adam and Eve decided that they knew best, that they were going to go their way, that they were going to sin and rebel against God, the first thing that happened, the first consequence of sin is fear. In that moment, they become aware that they're naked and they feel shame. And it's the first example of someone being afraid of what someone else thinks of them. And they go and hide. And their fear becomes placed against God and they're afraid of him too. Fear is the first consequence of sin. And it's a consequence that every single one of us faces and battles with day in and day out. So the question is, how can we overcome fear? How can we overcome it in our lives? And how can we encourage and prepare and train our children to be able to overcome it in their lives as well? And and I'm not talking about a kind of sensible fear. There's a fear that you kind of parents, you you kind of instill in your children, you know, when you just say to them all the time, you know, be careful. You know, Evan fell out of a tree this week. And that's a, uh, you know, kind of a a moment where you kind of hope, well, there's a a, a good sensible fear that might grow in him because of that for him to make good choices. There's a a fear where you don't cross the road when a lorry's coming straight at you. You know, there are sensible fears that we have that we try and train our children in because it's good for them and that we need because actually it protects and keeps us safe too. But there's a destructive fear. There's a destructive fear that controls us and holds us back and stops us from knowing joy and freedom in this life. And that's the kind of fear that we want to overcome. And to help us learn how we can overcome fear, we're going to be looking at Psalm 27 this morning. And if you're here today and you don't have... um, have a relationship with God. If this is all a little bit strange to you being here, if you've never given your life to Jesus, then my, my hope for you this morning really is that as we look at this psalm, you might discover something as of who God is and something of the hope that we have and that is available in Jesus. Uh, before we get into Psalm 27 and what it actually says, one of the things that I love um, about the Bible, and, and this psalm is a great example of it, is that when we read it, What we find is that God's word, that the Bible, that this psalm is not full of platitudes. 
How many of you hate it when you're facing something really hard or you're feeling afraid of something and someone just comes along and shares this kind of empty platitude and, and it just doesn't cut it, does it? You just kind of want to smack them. But the Bible doesn't do that to us. You know, the the Bible is real about the challenges and the fears that we face and the difficulties that we go through and how we can walk through them and how we can overcome in the midst of them when we walk through them with God. You know, and we all face very real challenges and very real fears at at different times. But, But one of the things which is encouraging and that can help us get to courage in this is because very few, if any of us, will ever face the same kind of things that that David, who writes this psalm, faced. The kind of things that he goes through. You know, David, many of you will know this story, but but David was a, a shepherd boy. Just kind of getting on with life, minding his own business, caring for the sheep. When, when Samuel the prophet comes along and anoints him and declares that he's going to be the next king. And, and for a while, everything just seems to kind of be on track and get better and better. You, you know the story where he, he defeats Goliath and then he moves to some and live in the palace and he's kind of on track. But then Saul, who's the current king, gets jealous of him. And starts to plot against him and then to make plans to kill him. And David goes from being on the road to success to running for his life with a group of misfits. From living in the palace to hiding in a cave. And when David talks about being pursued by enemies, from fearing for his life, it's not poetic kind of metaphor He's talking about real events that he's facing, that he's living through, that he's going through, that he's battling with. You know, when we read the story of David, we find that he has every reason to be afraid. And we realize that the Bible speaks with a raw honesty that even in the midst of following God, we still face problems, we still face trials, we still face difficulties. We still face fear and we still face doubts. The great thing is, though, that because David is honest with us about all of this, that not only do we have the comfort and the encouragement that knowing we're not alone when we go through it, that there's nothing weird about that, but actually we get to learn from him how we can face it and how we can overcome it. What we see in Psalm 27, and and I love the fact that Lily's song that she chose was Great Big God, because what we see in Psalm 27 is that the first thing that David does when he is wanting to face his fear is he reminds himself that God is bigger. It's like he takes this picture of who God is, and then he holds it up against his fear, and this picture of of his fear. And and he, he compares the two of them. And he says, my God is bigger. Why should I be afraid? This is what he writes, Psalm 27, verses 1 to 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. You know, where my mum used to say to me growing up um, that talking to yourself is the first sign of madness. We had multiple signs that went on after that, but we won't go there. But you know, I want to say that 
Spiritually, the right kind of talking to yourself is the first sign of sanity. David recognizes the doubt and the fear for what it is and how destructive it can be. And so he speaks to himself. He speaks to his own heart the truth of who God is and what he has done in order to put that fear in perspective. He reminds himself who God is and the things that he's done in the past in order to grow hope and confidence in his heart, in order to hold up the picture of that God is bigger. And to stop fear from dragging him down to a place of despair. In fact, he does the opposite of what we're so often told to do. If you go to, to see a counselor or you kind of look at kind of secular ideas in terms of how to manage fear, you know, you, you tell yourself, well, it'll probably never happen. You know, you're, you're kind of overplaying things. David does the opposite of that. He, he moves in his mind and in his imagination to the worst case scenario. He knew he had enemies coming against him wanting to kill him. But he moves to the worst case scenario of while I'm hiding in my cave. Let's imagine for a moment that an army was surrounding and besieging me. That's the worst case scenario. That's as bad as it can get. I'm going to hold up the worst possible thing. And I'm going to compare it to how big my God is. And even if that happens, my God is bigger. And so my confidence is in him. And David is able to have this, this confidence that God is bigger because he knows the character and the nature of God. He's experienced God at work in his life. And if you look at the rest of Psalm 27, you know, you, you see him describe God as his stronghold, his protector, his helper. You see him talk of him as this, his teacher, as the one who is merciful and beautiful and good. If we want to hold the picture of our fear up against our picture of God and come to the same conclusion as David that God is bigger, then like David, we need to know the character and the nature of God. And, and I think this is one of the, the reasons why coming together like this on a Sunday morning and, and singing these amazing songs of worship, declaring who God is, is so powerful and so important. It's powerful because as we do this, we build up a picture for ourselves of who God is, of how big he is, how mighty he is. And it puts our fear into perspective and fear starts to be broken in our hearts and in our lives. We're declaring truth. We're declaring who he is. We're speaking to ourselves. We're also declaring it over one another, over one another's circumstances, over one another's fears. And as we do that, faith is stirred in our hearts and fear can be broken. And you know, we will, never, we will never get to this place of having confidence in God's nature and God's character, though, by just knowing about him. Because how many of you know that if you're going to trust someone, it's not enough just to know about them? You need to know them personally, don't you? And we see this with David. David. 
He doesn't just hold up God and say, isn't he awesome? Isn't he mighty? He doesn't say God is, is the salvation. He says God is my salvation. He's my light. He's my stronghold. He's my help. This is personal for David. This is something he's experienced and he, and he knows for himself. And as we read on, it becomes clear that because God is, and David have this kind of personal relationship, he doesn't just know that God is, is bigger than his fears, but he knows that God is better. He knows that God is best. He comes to this place in his heart where, where God is the one thing that he longs for. And the one thing that he seeks after. This is, is what he writes as he goes on. It says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling, in his presence. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent, that's in his presence, and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, in his presence, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Now here's the thing, David's in a really scary situation. That's something we all would, uh, would agree on. And I think we would all be completely understanding if in the midst of this scary situation, David was coming to God and saying, God, the one thing that I'm asking of you, the one thing that I'm seeking after is your protection, is your help, is your provision, is that you would, you would defeat my enemies, is that you would move Saul's heart to, to find favor with me and that he wouldn't want to kill me anymore. And yet he doesn't do that, does he? He says, God, in the midst of my fear, in the midst of what I'm facing, your presence is the one thing that I want. It's the one thing that I'm seeking after. To see you more clearly is the one thing that I long for. God, you're the one thing above all other things in my life. And I think this is, I think this is key. And I think this is at the nub of so much of our fear and, and a real challenge, certainly a challenge to me. Because one of the reasons that I think we can battle with fear is because we seek after other things. And we make other things the one thing. We seek after acceptance from people, feeling like if we belong, then that will be everything we have. That will be everything we need. We seek after, for after money thinking, then I'll be secure. We seek after a relationship with someone saying, then I'll feel loved. You know, it can be anything, but what happens that then leads to a destructive and unhealthy fear is that these things become what we, we hope in and we long for and we seek after. And they're shaky. They're things that we can lose. They're things that can be stolen from us and taken away. They're people who will let us down. And so every time one of these things is threatened, how can we not be afraid? 
And so our destructive fear reveals to us the things that we value so much and we're scared to lose. Or we're scared that we'll never get. And it's not that these are bad things. It's not that these are wrong things. These can be good things that we should care about. These are valuable things. But when we make them the one thing, the one thing that we want above all else, the one thing above our God, then we're on shaky ground and it's scary. And you know, sometimes as followers of of Jesus, I think we battle with fear simply because God isn't our one thing. Our hope isn't in God, it's maybe in what God can do for us to help us get the one thing. Our hope isn't in God, it's in, in health or in money or family or relationships. They're the one thing and God is a means to that end of the one thing. And so when those things are threatened, we feel afraid. And what we see with David is a perspective that says, God, you are bigger than my circumstances, but you're also the best. Having you is better than anything else that I can put my hope in or seek after or long for. Nothing compares to being in your presence. Nothing compares to being able to see something more of who you are. If I have you, then I need never be afraid. When the day of trouble comes, whatever it looks like, because I know it will, I will not be shaken. Because you're the one thing that can't be stolen from me and the one thing that will never let me down. And this is something that we just can't muster up, can we? We hear it and we say, yeah, I get it, but I'm, I'm not quite there. And I can't muster it. I can't make myself be there. can't just muster up this kind of love for God and put him in this place. And it only comes from time in God's presence. Only comes from time gazing at his beauty in the way that we might gaze at a sunset or, you know, you go out on the coast and you're just captured and you're amazed and something of, of, of it captures your heart and it changes things. You know, Jesus promises us that when we become his followers, he is with us always, that he'll never leave us for, or forsake us, that he, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And so we know his presence within us all of the time. And, and that's an amazing promise that we can kind of cling to and hold on to, that he's always there. But, you know, the Bible also speaks about times and moments when, when God makes his presence known in a special and a powerful way. And it's those moments that so often change everything. And I can remember a number of different times where I've just been feeling worn down by life and it's just too much. It's overwhelming and I'm not sure how I'm going to kind of keep going. And then I've come into a time of, of worship or a time of prayer or I've gone out and walked the coast path and been enjoying something of God's creation. And in those moments, something of God's special presence is with me and it changes everything. My circumstances haven't changed but my perspective has because that picture of who God is, that he is bigger and that he is better, changes everything. 
And this doesn't mean that we need to spend every moment on our knees in prayer or that we need to spend every moment just having having constant church services and we'll all just kind of come together and, and in, enjoy God's presence in a kind of holy huddle or, or whatever it is, or just spend every moment reading your Bible or whatever. You know, God has jobs for us to do. He has work for us to do. He has children for us to, to raise. He has people for us to care for. But what it means then to, to have God as the one thing is to cultivate a heart that says in everything that I am doing, I'm doing it for you. I long to be with you. You're the one thing that I hope for, the one thing that I am after above all other things. If I have you, then I know everything else will be okay. You are my hope. Not just what you can do for me, not just the blessings that you can give me, but simply you. You, Jesus, are my hope because you are best. And you know, some people, I think, would like to stop the psalm there. Because if you stop the psalm there, essentially you get this great little message where you say, the way that we overcome fear is by being people of faith. And if you're people of faith, then you'll never have to worry about fear. I love the fact that the psalm doesn't stop there. Because if it did, my goodness me, I'd have days where I'd be beating myself up and feeling pretty rubbish. Because the reality of my experience, I don't know if this is true for you, but the reality of my experience is that internally, so often I'm pulled in two directions. I have my times where I feel like I'm this man of faith who knows that God is bigger and God is best, so who can I be afraid of? And then you get this kind of message that comes through on your phone that just kind of throws you into despair. And you've gone from one moment there to the next moment feeling full of fear and doubt. I mean, where are you in this? How am I going to get through this? How do I face this? What's going to happen at the end of this? And what I love about the example of David is that he shows us that this kind of swinging from one to the other is normal. And that we don't have to try and squash our fear and our doubts and pretend they're not there. But that we can be real and honest with God about them. The way that David relates to God shows us that we have an amazing God who is not only bigger than our fears and our circumstances, who is not only better than anything else that we hope for, but he loves us and he cares for us and he is for us. And so we can be real and honest with him. This is what David goes on to write. He says, Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says if you seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I love David's honesty here because his heart is still saying, 
My heart says, seek your face. I will seek your face. But I'm scared. I'm struggling. I'm struggling to see where you are in this, God. Please be be merciful with me. Answer me. Show me how you're at work in the midst of what it is that I'm going through. Show me how you're my help and my saviour and I can trust you. God, I know if I try and handle this on my own, in my own way, it's going to end up in a mess. So teach me your ways. And I don't know about you, but sometimes while I relate to, sometimes I relate to, to David as the man of faith, sometimes really I relate to David, the man who just cries help. And you know, both are okay. Sometimes we beat ourselves up in those moments, but both are okay. Both are actually positions of faith because in both positions we're looking to God as the answer. And because God is for us, we don't have to try and perform for him. We don't have to try and kind of plaster on a smile and pretend everything's okay. Because God is for us, we can be honest with him. He loves it when we admit what we're struggling with and we admit our failings and we admit our fears. Because as we do that in faith, we are looking to him as the answer. And as we do that, we are recognizing that we can't do it on our own, that we're not strong, that we we can't just kind of hold it all together and, and kind of man up and deal with it. That we need his help, that we're reliant on him, that we're dependent on him. And this isn't just David. All through the Bible, we find people who cry out to God in desperation. And if that's where you're at right now, I want you to know that that's okay. That you don't... You don't... That trusting God doesn't mean that you never know fear and doubt and you've got to always have a smile on your face and be jumping up and down and kind of confident and... You don't have to be afraid of being honest with God. Being full of faith simply just means that you look to him as the answer. The worst thing that we can do is to allow fear to make us shrink in on ourselves so that we not only pull away from other people, but we pull away from God. God is for us. And we can come to him and be honest with him in every season of life. As David comes to the end of this psalm, though, it's like he he wants us to know that while life may be hard and difficult at times, and while we might kind of swing from being people of faith to being kind of battling with fear, in the midst of it, there's one thing that David's learned. And this is what it is, and you can read it in verses 13 to 14. He says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. David is talking about how here and now, in the land of the living, in this life, he has hope and he is confident. Not that he'll necessarily get everything that he wants. Not that everything will turn out the way that he he hopes it will. Not that life will be easy, but that God is with him. And that God is at work in the midst of it. 
and that whatever he is facing, he will experience and know the goodness of his Lord. Now, David is in a situation where his life is in danger and he doesn't know what the future holds. It's uncertain. But in the midst of it, he is confident that God will never let him down. And and sometimes when we're battling fear, when life is hard, we don't know what to do. We don't even know how to pray. We don't necessarily feel like we can fight. And in those times, let me encourage you that all that it looks like to be a person of faith is to wait for the Lord. To let your hope be in him, even if you have no idea how things will turn out, even if you've got no idea how to walk through it or what to do, just be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Just stand and know that God will never let you down. You can be confident of this, that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And we don't know what the future holds for our nation politically or economically or environmentally. We don't know the kind of world that our children will grow up in. We don't know what we're going to face tomorrow. What the future holds in our own lives in terms of health or relationships or jobs or career. There's a lot that we could be afraid of. But no matter what we are facing, no matter what the future holds or how uncertain it might be, whatever is ahead of us, we can be confident because our God is bigger. Our God is better. Our God is for us. And our God will never let us down. And Dan and Hannah and all of you who are, who are parents here really, if you want your children to grow up, to grow up Knowing, knowing Jesus, but not only knowing Jesus, but knowing how to face the fears that life throws at them. Teach them about this. But more than anything, model it to them. Ask God to teach you how to face your own fear in this way, because they will learn way more from seeing you do it than hearing you talk about it. And if you battle with fear... And, and you know that you, you're in need of building yourself up to help you fight, to help you stand, to help you overcome. Or maybe you're just aware that I'm not feeling fearful right now, but I know it's around the corner. I know at any moment something could come along that's worth being afraid of. And you want to prepare yourself, then I want to encourage you to do a couple of things as we finish. The first thing is simply to read and reread Psalm 27. Meditate on it and ask God to to begin to teach you through it and to shape your thinking through it so that you would get this kind of bigger picture of who God is. And then as you're reading every part of the Bible, make that part of your prayer, part of what you're looking for, not just to, not just to to learn and, and to know more, but to ask God specifically to show you who, something more of who he is, how big he is, how he's your best hope, how he's for you. Allow him to build this bigger picture so that as you go on, you're able to more and more hold up this picture of God against this picture of your fear and say, my God is bigger. So why should I be afraid? And the second thing that I want to encourage you to do 
is surround yourself with worship. And not just listen to it, but surround yourself in worship in contexts and places where you can sing it out loud, where you can speak it out, where you can declare it over yourself. Where you can do what David does with this first sign of spiritual sanity and speak to your own heart. You know, there is such power in worship. And if this isn't something that you're used to doing, if that's a bit weird and alien, if you're not sure how your family is going to respond, then get in the car and stick in a CD or plug in your MP3 player or whatever it is that you do. Shut the doors. Go for a drive. No one will have a clue. Turn the music up and just sing. And just get into a practice where you're declaring the goodness of God. You're declaring who he is. You're speaking out as we're singing today that he's the miracle worker who can work in your situations. That even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, he's there and he's working and you can hope in him. He will not let you down. And the last thing then, be honest with God. Be honest with him in your prayer this week. Don't try and face your fear on your own, feeling like you need to be strong. Come to God and ask him for help. Be real with him about your struggles, even if those struggles are actually a struggle to trust him. Invite him into that fear as well. Because he loves it when you do. Because he's for you and he cares for you and he wants to help you. But sometimes the only way he's able to do that is if you're vulnerable with him. So be honest with him. Be honest with him in prayer this week about what you're going through. And I know some of you are probably battling fear at the minute in life. It's fairly normal. I know some of you are going through difficult circumstances right now in life. And they seem overwhelming. And maybe it feels sometimes like you're drowning in the midst of it. And so I'd love for us to have an opportunity as we finish to pray for, for you, to, for you to be able to come and be honest with God, to just be real in your heart and bring these to Him. And to invite Him to come and to show you something more of who He is so that your perspective can be changed. So that you can know how much He loves you, so that you can know that you can trust Him. So I'm going to pray in a moment. Let's just take 10 seconds. Just be real with God. Be honest with him. And then we'll pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we can come to you this morning and be honest and vulnerable and real with you, knowing that you're for us and that you love us. Knowing that you're, you don't judge and condemn or beat us up or say, oh, how could you do that? But you, you come to us with compassion and with mercy, saying, let me pick you up. Let me hold you. Let me speak truth into your heart so that you can have hope. Let me strengthen you and give you grace. Let me show you where I'm at work and how I'm at work. Let me reassure you. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would come and you would move by your spirit right now across this place to touch every heart and every life, every person here who's been battling with fear of different kinds. A destructive fear that has, has controlled them and held them back. I pray that you would come now and that you would, you would just declare your truth over them. That you would begin to break the power of fear in their life. That you would reveal something more of yourself. And Lord, that, that their fear would be put into perspective. That what seems so big and all-consuming and like this thing that they were drowning in, that they didn't know how to escape from, would just become a puddle. Because they would know how big and great their God is. And that they are in your hands. Lord, I pray that you would move in my heart and in the heart of every one of us here. That you would help us to grow in our love for you. And you would more and more become the one thing that is above all things. Lord, that we would see something more of who you are. And you would become our hope. A hope that we know will never let us down. A hope that is unshakable and unbreakable. Lord, I pray that you would help us not only to know you for ourselves, but that you would enable us to put you on display for friends, for family, for our children. That as they look and they see the way that we live life, the way that we face fear with hope, that they would learn from it and they would discover hope in you for themselves through it. God, as our nation goes through uncertain times, let us be a shining light as people who cannot be shaken, as people who have joy and hope and confidence in you. So Lord, come and move amongst us by your Spirit. I pray you'd encourage each and every person here that they would know you with them. Know your presence, not only in that great assurance of knowing you're always there, but in that special, powerful way of knowing your tangible presence and your touch right now and through this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.